Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bccweb.com. Welcome to the church this morning, and uh, it's been a roller coaster 10 days, hasn't it, in the UK? And, and the last, I mean, could you have imagined what we as a country have been through in the last 10 days? It's just mind blowing, really. And uh, it's more compelling, actually. We're in this series, Daring to Grow, and we're unlocking two Corinthians. Um, we're only doing two more weeks of this, this book, and then we will come back to it probably next year. But we're doing two more weeks, and then we start a new series. Um, we're just so excited. Despite all the ups and downs and the challenges in our, in our life, we have incredible uh, understanding of the kingdom of God in this church. We, we know that God's kingdom is rock solid. And no matter what's going on in society, no matter what's going on in your life, no, no matter what's going on in your job, your relationships, the kingdom of God is immovable. It is the most enduring thing in all of history. Did you know that? Yeah. There's no other kingdom that has lasted longer than the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And, and we're going to talk about that this morning. We've called it the priceless kingdom identity, our priceless kingdom identity. And we're going to, we're going to look into that through chapter 7 uh, in, in 2 Corinthians. But it is priceless. It's, you can't put a price on God's kingdom. You can't. Jesus gave his life for it and for you. And we are part of it. It's just an incredible thing. And it will endure and endure and endure. In fact, it will last forever. And uh, in fact, one of the guys in the first service had a prophetic word about God's um, incredible stability and endurance. And he just, he just felt he wanted to bring it. He gave it to me after the first service and said, you need to tell the people that God is saying that he is totally reliable and dependable. No matter what is going on in your life, he is dependable. And... Uh, uh, you know, we will get through, and most of us have got through stuff in our lives. And, of course, we will get through all this European stuff and, and everything else. But, but the reality is it does knock you a bit when you're not certain about things and uncertain. But I just want you to know that we are in a, a priceless kingdom, and, uh, and we're going to celebrate that this morning through various things. Uh, of course, the football is on at the moment, and I'm sorry, Jeff, we're going to rub it right in, because, of course, Belgium were unfortunately beaten by the incredible Wales, and uh, <laughs> but um, I don't normally. I, I have no knowledge of uh, of the manager's spiritual condition, but I did listen to. I, I watched the game, and I was incredibly amazed at what came out of that game. It was a tough, but it was a brilliant game of football. The, the guys from Belgium played fantastically, and uh, and and the Welsh just played their best ever, and. But the manager, it was amazing to me, Chris Coleman, he, when he was asked right at the end of the game, he just came out with this incredible bang, bang, bang statement. If you work hard enough and you're not afraid to dream and, and not afraid to fail, you can do it. And it just rattled out. Of, it just came out. He didn't read a, a text or a script. It, it wasn't like a management guru thing. He just he said, you can do it. And, and often um, we let circumstances define us because of the danger of those circumstances. Well, in those circumstances, when things are rocky and unsteady, so often. You know, I heard Alan Shearer as well talking about the penalties. Did you see the Germany penalties? Was it last night? Yes. And, um, and Germany missed some. 
but they still got through. I thought, come on, Italy, come on, Italy, do it. No, no. <laughs> Either way, penalties, a lot of pressure. But, um, you know, Alan Shearer said something really interesting. He just said, what you've got to do is put your, pri- your training into practice. He said, don't be put off by the keeper. Pick your spot and do what you've always done in training. You just get the ball to where you put it in training. Don't, let, don't get into mind games with the keeper. And he said it in various words two or three times last night. I thought, he's so right. We get distracted by the, you know, it's a huge public event. There's a lot of pressure on these players. Um, and there's, there's the pressure of the media, the TV, the manager, and you've got to score. And, you know, in the kingdom of God, we're under a lot of pressure. The world is looking at us. You're looking at yourself. Others are looking at you. You've got, you are a living, walking, breathing testimony of Jesus Christ. And therefore, people are looking at you. You may not even realize the number of people looking at you. But I'm telling you, God, as you go to work, as you go to college, as you study, as you do what you do during the week, God is aiming people's vision in your direction. You know that. God is aiming. You may not realize it, but he is. He's drawing people to look at you. Why? Because you are a living, breathing testimony of Jesus Christ. So if you work hard enough and you're not afraid to dream and not afraid to fail, you can do it. And you know what? That works in the kingdom. It works in society. It's just brilliant. It's an inspiration. I love it when people just just do incredible things. In some ways, I'm really excited for Iceland as well. This preach should be all about football. <laughs> I need to get on. You women who don't like football are going, come on, get on with the word of God. Okay, we will. I'm really sorry. Forgive me. Don't let your heart get hard. We'll talk about that later. Anyway, we're going to start reading some verses from, from 2 Corinthians 7, and we're going to read from verse 1 through to 7 in the New Living Translation. Um, because we have these promises, dear friends, let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. Please open your hearts to us. Uh, We have not done wrong to anyone, nor led anyone astray, nor taken advantage of anyone. I'm not saying this to condemn you. Sorry, I need to flip the slides. I'm not saying this to condemn you. Uh, I said before that you, you are in our hearts and we live or die together with you. I have the highest confidence in you and I take great pride in you. You have greatly encouraged me and uh, made me happy despite all our troubles. When we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. We faced conflict from every direction, with battles on the outside and fear on the inside. But God, who encouraged those who are discouraged. Say that with me. God, who encourages those who are discouraged, encouraged us. Thank you. By the arrival of Titus, his presence was a joy, but so was the, the news he brought of the encouragement he received from you. When he told us how much you longed to see me and how sorry you are for what happened and how loyal you are to me, I was filled with joy. Great. So we have this incredible, priceless kingdom identity. Our identity is in Jesus Christ, but this is his kingdom. And so we live and function in his kingdom. And uh, I don't know if you saw your e-news that went around this week. We are going to have a great celebration of cultural diversity in our church. Did you see that? If you didn't read your emails, you need to be aware we're going to have a fantastic lunch after church. I think it's the 26th, am I right? For 25th, July, 24th, even sooner, even better. The 24th of July, we're going to be having a great a multicultural lunch where you are going to bring and share food and you're going to bring your friends and we're going to celebrate different cultural diversity by having food. We are not 
phased at all by what's going on in Britain. Or, you know, we, are, we love people and we love that diversity of cultures which re- represents so many people in our church. But our identity is Jesus Christ. And our identity is in his kingdom. And it's priceless. That's worth so much. But to protect that identity, we have to do something inside us. We have to, deal, we have to sort of work on ourselves in that identity. Now, God's done so much. He's done, it's really, there's not a lot we almost need to do. We know our eternity is certain. If you've put your faith and your trust in Jesus, you've made him your Lord and your Saviour, you've prayed a prayer of commitment and you started to walk as a disciple of his, then you know your eternity is sealed with him. And we're going to have communion later at the very end of the service. And that's, that's a place of covenant commitment. We come to the, the communion table and we celebrate this priceless kingdom that we are now in and moving forward, forward in eternity on. Um, but there are things that we have got responsibility for. And the first word that I want to pick up is holiness. Um, holiness. And it says in verse 1, Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit and let us work towards complete holiness because we fear God. Very interesting this. Work, uh, let us cleanse ourselves. That, that's our responsibility. It's inclusive. Dear friends, let us, Paul is writing to them, us, let us cleanse ourselves. Um, but what are these promises? What are these promises that, God, that uh, is being talked about here in the text? What, is the promise, what are the promises that are being talked about? These promises uh, we pick up in the previous chapter, and Vlad talked about them last week. We talk about the promises in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 15, that God will dwell in us, that he is our Father. And if you didn't hear the message last week, go back and listen to it, I encourage you to, about being joined in relationship with the right sort of person or people. We know that our identity is in Christ, and, we, and God dwells in us. You know that if you're a believer. You know that. You know his spirit comes into you. You know that he's dwelling in you by his spirit. But also he becomes our father and we become his children. So we become sons. and do- These are the promises. This is the reality of this kingdom. This isn't just a notion, let's go to church. right? He's promising a kingdom that will never fail and is eternal. And God is sovereign. He is our father and we are his family. It's an incredible thing. It's something that endures. It's something. So let us, let us, um, uh, that's what it says there, let us. Paul uses this expression to be inclusive. It doesn't say, and you must. It doesn't say, no, you've failed now. You've got to sort yourself. He's going, let us. So this is one of the greatest apostles that ever lived. He's saying, let us. So he had to work on himself. And we recognise that cleansing is personally important. Now, I wasn't here last week. I missed a great service. We have got a fantastic team here. I love it. I didn't think once about you. <laughs> you know, that is good news, though. I, I said to Liz, come the second service. Oh, they're just about to start the second service. I, I'm sorry if you thought we cared. <laughs> no, no, we do care. But um, we've got a great team here. We've got a fantastic team. Uh, you know, in the first service, I just want to say thank you to all our volunteers Every person, not only those who are on the platform, but those who serve in the cafe and those who serve in the kids' work. We don't even see them some Sundays. And those who give up their time for leading life groups and those who, who look after the site and do the welcome team. You know, everything that is done. I think we should just show appreciation to those who volunteer in this church. 
we, we, together we carry, to, you and I carry together the burden that God has given this church. And let me tell you, that burden isn't going to get any lighter. That burden, it's exciting. I thank God that we are yoked to him. <laughs> that we are yoked to him. That God is the one who's taking a lot of the directional pressure, the one who carries the responsibility. But we do have our challenges and we have to work through some stuff. So holiness is something that is absolutely priceless and brilliant. Um, and looking at this picture, Liz and I, we were away. We planned to be away on Sunday, um, but it was something that Liz booked it. It wasn't me. It was Liz. She booked it. It was a birthday present from last year. A, a very minor birthday, I will say. Um, and she booked for us to be away. So I felt I ought to go. It was to a motor racing event. You know, I don't really like the smell of engine oil and fast cars and rubber and donutting. And, you know, I, don't, I have to put up with it. It was Liz who really wanted to be there. And I, I'm, I'm busy. Get me out of here. No. What a sacrifice. Oh, it was fantastic. What amazing. So on the way, there's lots of traffic. And we just saw this van. And it just struck us both. It, the company is pro-clean. I'm, I don't want to damage the company's reputation. But this van went past us. And it's, it said on the back, people who clean beautifully. And this van was absolutely filthy. I mean, it, it was filthy all round. This thing looked like it had not seen a car wash in decades. And, uh, and it had this thumbs up sign as if you're, you're safe with us. As <laughs> this companion. I tell you, to add insult to injury, he was undertaking the entire queue of traffic and going to nip in. So pro-clean, they, they were really out of order. But it, it was funny. It kind of, now, this is, the tr- this is, holiness has a parallel with this. See, holiness is not what you say, it's what you are. It's what you be. It's who you are. It's not enough. And Christians get slaughtered by those, those outside church sometimes because they are happy to talk about what they want people to see. But when it comes to it, there's a lot of messed up stuff. Now, we are all on a grace journey. God loves us so much. There's not a single person in here, um, believe me, not a single person, in here who's not needed the grace of God in their lives. We all know that. We have all messed up right royally. Thank God he puts us into the heavenly car wash and he cleans us up on the inside and then the outside starts to shine. Um, But we have, holiness means we've got us to protect that. We've got to protect that authenticity by being real, by being genuine, um, by really just holding on to what God says and and being real. Um, and when we talk about holiness, I'm going to jump to Mark 7. This is from Jesus. He, he said these words. He said, Out of a person's heart come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things come from within. They are what defile you. So Paul is talking about holiness and avoiding, the, uh, protecting ourselves from the things that defile our body and our spirit. It's interesting that he separates the two things. And I've never really thought about that before. I used to think defile is just the bad stuff. But he's explicitly saying your body and your spirit. Because what happens in your body affects your spirit. And what happens in your spirit does affect your body. He also brings the word heart in. And we'll look at heart in a moment. But holiness is a responsibility we've got um, uh, to walk right. And that responsibility to walk right is because God knows that he's got a plan and that his intention is to really work with you and in your life and multiply through you. 
to see stuff grow in your world. And it's for our sake that, that Paul is writing these words. We've got to protect ourselves from what defiles you. And um, it's an interesting, it's almost a paradox, this. Not quite, but almost. That on one hand, what defiles us tends to come into our life from the outside. But God is saying it's what's in your heart that comes out that defiles you. When you're born, you're not born with all these things going on in your world. You haven't learned all this stuff. Um, so something must get planted. I think it's seeds of the world get planted in people's lives. And they take root in, in the heart. And what happens is over time, if we're not careful, that stuff grows up inside us. And then the defilement isn't on the outside anymore. It's coming out from the inside because it started to grow. Somewhere it grew. Somehow seeds grew somehow and we've got to be careful that's why for example we we have this week of prayer and fasting we're not ashamed of spiritual disciplines why because those you know i, I spoke to a great guy in in the church in the first at the end of the first service god really spoke to him through the message and god's i mean he told me about some big stuff amazing brilliant what god is i can see all over he, he you can see he's going through that tension of god you know I know I should do this. And I'm thinking, man, this guy's life, in a year's time, he's going to be up there in terms of influence and kingdom and, and ministry because God's doing stuff right now. The Spirit's speaking to him and he's really taking decisions that are difficult. And, um, and so when we do prayer and fasting in this church, we are saying, you know, and prayer and fasting was one of the conversations. You know, I've never fasted, this guy said to me. And we really feel that we would like to start fasting. And I said, well, do it then. Just do it. Because what you're doing when you fast is you're not being religious. You're creating time for God, but you are getting your spirit in charge of your body. That's what you're doing. You're going, my body is not going to define me anymore. My spiritual identity in Christ is going to define me. Because your body will fail. Every person in this room, you know, in 100 years, you probably won't be here. I might be, but you won't. (laughs) I'm being renewed daily. That's what God. <laughs> but anyway, but you know, we won't be here. It'll be another generation. But our spirits will be alive. Our spirits, our soul, will be in the kingdom of God, and that kingdom will be eternal. And you'll have the. You know, we talked about those new bodies, didn't we, a few weeks back? But praise God. So we pray and fast. But did you know? Um, so 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 um, what defiles your body is linked to a lot of that stuff on, on the slides. <laughs> Point to the slides on the slides. <laughs> But spiritual defilement is when you start to put your belief and faith and trust in something that's not God. So you start to worship. It's directly linked to idolatrous worship, like worshipping idols. You may say, well, there are no idols in Britain. Oh, yes, there are. They drive around every street. They appear on every TV show. They're on the front page of newspapers. They're in your office. They're in your workplace. They're in your career. Your idols are all over the place. And when we prioritise, it might even be a relationship. You might have even idolised a relationship above God. But if you start to behave and invest as though you're worshipping that thing, that thing, it might even be pride, it might be anything. It could be anything. What, what separates you from God's authentic relationship? And you know what Paul says in other areas of the New Testament? He says that that is called partnership with demons. Anything that's not from God, he calls partnership with demons when it's talking about spiritual worship boy that's a heavy duty thing partnership with demons so 
Um, very, very interesting. So we've got to protect our heart. But right now, you may not realize that we're coming towards the end of the Islamic Ramadan, that month of prayer and fasting. Now, they simply fast during the daytime and they eat and have parties at nighttime. Now, we don't. We, we don't eat, basically. <laughs> so we drink and we don't eat. That's how we do it. That's what Jesus did. His 40 days of prayer and, and fasting in the wilderness. He ate nothing but, and drank water. But it's interesting that there is a kind of climax in Ramadan. Um, and it was on Saturday night. And in that whole period of Ramadan, there is a point. It's called the night of power. And in that night of power, uh, Muslims are taught that the first revelation of their holy books was revealed by an angel to their prophet on that night. And, that's, that's, and so all around the world, Muslims, on that 27th day of Ramadan, they are totally committed to prayer and just getting very serious with God, really serious. Now, I believe that without Jesus Christ, what you've got is false religion. Right? That's what I believe. And so the, you don't need to think too far if we're taking scripture literally about what's going on there. But um, a Muslim, a practicing Muslim, would, would, would be taught that on that night, their prayers have a thousand times more power than any other, or a thousand months worth of prayer in one night. So it's a very serious night. And in that night, they expect to have dreams and visions. Now, what we should be praying about is that God really does give dreams and visions. Because we know, I know, the guy I met in Austria just the other day, and and he said 80% of the the Muslims in Iran, if they were given the choice publicly, would start worshipping Jesus Christ as Lord. That's incredible. And that's happening around the Middle East. It's affecting governments in the Middle East. And, you know, there are some very serious moves of God. You may not even understand that. But God is giving dreams and visions. And we should be praying right now, not, not being frightened of people's differences. We should just go in with confidence and know that God is probably speaking to people right now because they're serious about wanting to know who he is. But then we know that there is only one mediator between man and God, the man, Jesus Christ. So what happens when we ignore holiness? Well, ignoring holiness is not smart because if we ignore it in our lives and think, well, God can just sort me out, or it can get sorted out, or it doesn't really matter, what happens is you begin to experience a bit of separation. And separation can creep in. And it means that in relationship with maybe other believers or other people, you start to feel a sense of, um, you know, you might even find yourself being judgmental, a little bit critical of people's views. You, you don't like their spirituality, or, or they, you know, I've, had, I've heard enough of this. Or, you, you know, it starts to not taste so good separation can come in. If we ignore holiness, isolation can come in. We can start to feel like um, we are wanting to separate ourselves. We want to be in isolation. We want to do our own thing and keep ourselves to ourselves. We might even begin to be negative about Scripture. And actually, we don't even agree with that. We might start to, to think that, you know, we start to compromise in what we know is right in terms of truth. We, and it can be in all sorts of very, very sensitive social areas. It can be all sorts. Everything, I'm telling you, anything and everything comes into this category. We've got to be very careful. Holiness is about doing the right thing and not defending somebody else's worldview because they want to and they use biblical language for it. We have to know what the truth says. So we go back to the word for our foundations. But what will, do, what will happen is if we start to ignore our being holy and being responsible, sin will creep in. It will, and I sort of build that up as an acronym there, S-I-N. Sin starts to creep in. It starts to become something that becomes normal in us. Once it becomes normal, 
we accept it. In fact, we start to become kind of thick-skinned to it. And we start defending all sorts of behaviours. And, and before long, you're critical and you're, you don't believe the word of God anyway. And you're listening to all sorts of weird and wacky teaching. And you're, then you're becoming, you know, different views are okay. It's just a, a multiple routes to God. It's not true. There is a, there is a complete core in Scripture about what is, what is right and what is wrong. So holiness, the first thing. The second is our heart. We talked about that. Verse 2 says... Please open your hearts to us. Paul saying to the Corinthians, we have not done wrong to anyone nor led anyone astray nor taken advantage of anyone. And what is our heart? It comes up in the Bible all the time. There's over a thousand references to the heart. And you may be thinking, well, the heart isn't the mind. But when it uses the expression heart, we're talking about a combination of things, our physical, emotional, intellectual and moral behaviour, kind of bundled together. So it's an anthropological expression. If you can write that down, please write that down ten times. Just make sure your spelling's right. But it's, it's embracing all those things. Your physical. When we're talking about heart and scripture, we're talking about the physical side of life. We're talking about the emotional, intellectual, moral side. It's what begins to be who you are. And, um, and Paul is referring to it and in the Old Testament as well. Um, but the trouble is, we can shut our hearts down as well. Or we can make our hearts split in terms of our commitments to things well so what shuts down our hearts and Paul's talking to them open your hearts to us he said it in chapter six and things that can close our hearts down are disappointment discouragement distrust any of these things there's other things that can close shut your heart down you know all sorts of offense can get in you know disappointment I don't want to be hurt again and if you've lived you've been hurt and it's amazing. Again, I spoke to somebody else after the first service who, right now, massive pressure. Um, massive pressure because of hurts from years back. And they don't want to be hurt again. It's affecting marriages. Marriages get affected by people's hurts and disappointments all the time. Then discouragement. You feel like you've failed. You feel like you've lost an opportunity. It can close your heart down. You start to hold back. You, go, you know what, I'm gonna, I, I want to do my own thing here. And then distrust, you start to believe open lies and, and deception creeps in. And Jesus said about this in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters for you'll hate one and love the other. Now he's talking about finance actually here. No one can serve two masters for you'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. It's, for no, it's no mistake. In your heart, I'm telling you, one of the biggest battles people have is financial. They're financial opinions about kingdom of God and finances. Again, I had that conversation as well after the first service, that God is going to challenge us in our hearts about the things that matter in his kingdom. That means the things that are most painful for you, he will challenge. He will challenge it. I can only tell you that's how it works. God challenges us at the point that count the most for each one of us. He'll do it. Because he loves you so much. He wants you to understand that he's Lord and he's in control and he'll, he'll navigate. So he'll bring these pressure points. But you can't serve two masters. Um, and why is wholeheartedness important? Some things God can't give you until your heart is ready. This is the centre of what I'm wanting to say this morning. Some things God can't give you until your heart is ready. All right. Uh, this morning as I was thinking through the, the message, God just said, that is what I want you to bring out. Some things God can't give you till your heart is ready. And therefore, he's doing heart work on you. 
He is. This room is full. I'm telling you, I'm prophesying right now. There's 60 to 70% of this room, God's doing heart work on you right now. He's doing it now. Don't switch off on me. Don't say, no, 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 that's for him next door or her next door. He's doing it on you and he's doing it on me. God's doing heart work on us. He has to. He has to do heart work on us because his power is linked to our hearts. And I'll show you in a second. He's doing heart work on you. He's doing it. Some things God can't give you until your heart is ready. Even the Apostle Paul went for three years to Arabia to prepare him for ministry. What was going on there? God was doing heart work on his life. You know, God will not let us go into that next thing until our hearts are really ready. Now, he will expose you to challenges and opportunities. But I'm telling you, if your heart is divided or your heart is closed down, he's probably going to hold you until you start to soften that up and bring it open and get single-minded in your heart. Because he, you know why? He loves you too much to stick you where it's going to kill you. Do you get it? It will kill you. If he puts a half-hearted person into a, into a place of incredible responsibility, you will buckle. It may destroy you. And if, you are, if you've got hurt and pain from previous damage and you've closed your heart down, if he sticks you into where he wants to put you, you may never cope with it. He may have brought you into this church so your heart can be repaired. You know that. In fact, I reckon that's probably what most of us are in this church because of. Because God loves us so much. He came to bind up the... Why are you here? Because your heart's been broken. There are people in here whose hearts have been broken by the world and we close down and we divide our heart. And God's saying, I want to heal it. I want to do work. And maybe you've never even given your heart to Jesus because it's been so badly damaged by other people. That's what happens. Because God loves you. Surely if God is the ultimate source of love, that's where you put your heart. But people don't. Because their hearts are either held back or defended or, or, or broken or damaged or, or divided. You know, right now we've got this election. No, no, we haven't got an election going on at the moment. We've got, we don't know what's going on, do we? But we know that the parties are all over the place. You know, we know we've got a new prime minister going to be around at some point by the end of the year. But we also know, you know, and I'm not making a political thing here, but Jeremy Corbyn, a man whose heart was not 100% for what he stood up and presented, has lost 80% of his front bench. How does that happen? That is a simple biblical example of a divided situation where you are not going with conviction about what you, you, what you say. In other words, as soon as you are woolly and wooshy about it, everything can break down. And it's not a reflection of him as a person. I'm not saying anything about his character. I'm just saying that there's a massive leadership challenge now in the whole opposition government right now because of an, someone who's not 100% for what they, they've been talking about. And that will happen to us. David understood this, King David. He said, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. If your heart is divided, how can God put you into places of pressure? How can he put you to somewhere? How can he give you responsibility for that stuff? You know, it's the, it's the small things. I'll test you in the small things. Why does he do that? So your heart is big enough to carry you when nobody else can carry you. And that's his plan. His plan is to give you a massive heart and capacity to see. We could be, there could be people sitting in this room who are going to be church planters, who are going to lead hundreds or thousands of people to faith. But your heart is not ready for it. It's not ready for it. And God wants to work on you. And it's not that you're bad. It's just that you're... You're, you're, you're caught up in the stuff that God is trying to uncatch you up in. <laughs> He's trying to release it. He's trying to get it out. 
So David knew it and he knew, how do I get my heart sorted out? I've got to go to God. And what does he say? Ask. Ask. All we do is ask God. Ask God, Lord, do some repair work. Do some enlarging. Do some consolidating. Do some 100% work in me. Help me to get 100% into what you're doing and not 50%. Because 50% you're stuck in two worlds. You've got two masters. You're stuck in a place where God wants to use you, wants to work with you, but he, he needs you to figure it out. I spoke to a guy this week, yes, uh, Friday, who's a leader of a church of thousands in Australia. Um, he's just about to be named the global missions director for a, a big organisation. And he said to me, and he didn't know he was doing this, he just, you know how God speaks in a, over lunch? And he said, you know, God just said to me, I had some prophetic words in my life. God was moving me from one situation to the next. And he said, and as I was walking along, it was like God said to me, I can't move you forward because your heart isn't 100%. You've got to wait until your heart's ready. And he said that to me over lunch. And for me, that's prophetic for us. I've got to wait till my, God was going to wait until his heart was ready to carry the responsibility and to be given the confidence and trust in, in what God was going to do. Because otherwise it would destroy him. Your, your, God's plan for you will, could destroy you if your heart's not right. If it's not, and it's not, not saying you're a bad-hearted person. Don't get, you know where I'm coming from. It's about him building you up. And it happens to everyone. King David knew it. The Apostle Paul knew it. I know it. You know, my heart had to change before I went full-time as a minister. It took nine months to change my heart to being exactly where God needed it to be in order for him to give me that responsibility. That was a long time ago now. But it took nine months in my life. It wasn't, yes, it was an immediate head decision, but it was a heart change had to happen. But God does it. When he works on you, you watch what can happen. You watch. And if he's giving you a challenge in your spirit, in your mind, he's doing that for a reason. He's not doing it so that you can be under pressure. He's doing it so that you are able to respond and he can start that work in you. It says in Luke 10, um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, uh, all your strength and all your mind. Love your neighbour as yourself. Why? Because if you don't do it 100%, if you're not in it 100%, there will be damage done. There'll be damage done. It all starts with our hearts. Um, now, you know, it's like, it's like a big circle, really. Your heart is a key part of it. God's working in you. He's working with you. He's walking. He's carrying. He's lifting. He's doing stuff you never thought he would do. His grace is operating. The kingdom is amazing. That's why it's priceless. But your heart is right in the centre of your destiny. That's what it is. Your heart is there. Ezekiel says in verse, uh, chapter 11, 19, I'll give them an undivided heart and put what in them? Do you see the connection? I'll give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. See, in my team, if their hearts get divided, they've got a problem. Our team will pay a price. We, we've got to be 100% in who we are. Now, we have our differences, we have our opinions, and we work, through, that's why team is so important. But an undivided heart is what God wants to give people, and when he does it, he puts a new spirit in. Do you get it? If you've got a divided heart, not that God's spirit's not in you, but there's an effect, there's, cause, there's an issue there, there's going to be something. And God wants you to have power. He wants you to have all that. And then my final point about heart, is heavenly encouragement. And right now you may be feeling discouraged, but God is the God who encourages those who are discouraged. He's the one who does it. And that's in verse 5 and verse 6. But God is the one who encourages that. He's an expert at encouragement. But he does it in different ways. He does it um, in, in, mostly through people, strange enough. What discourages us? 
The text says it there in verse 5, that the battle's on the inside and fear's on the outside. Those things discourage us when there's a battle going on. And you know, one of the battles is that spiritual battle of doing what God says. You've got every one of us, every single day you wake up tomorrow, there'll be a little spiritual battle going on in your life. Just like we get to the fasting and you'll be going, oh, do I do one day? Do I half day? Do I two days? Do I give up? Do I, do I give up games on my computer or my phone? Is that the battle or is it the food? Yeah, be, yeah. We're all there, right? We've all, we've all got to walk it. And um, end of the day, that's, these battles will go on. And then, of course, there's the big battles and you know, the tensions and the, and the temptations. And then there's the fears, because fears are a battleground. Uh, but they're all, they're all coming at us. So what did Paul say happened? He said, Titus came alongside and brought some great news. Titus. You know, a couple of weeks ago, um, I, 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 was, I had a difficult week, a uh, few days actually. And I'm normally a very positive person, but on that particular morning, I was feeling really a little bit like frustrated. I was having battles on the inside and, and there were some fears. And I, I was thinking, God, I feel a bit discouraged. And I try and get some time off. I don't have an awful lot of time off because of all the AOG things that are going on. I'm tending to use a lot of spare time for that. But, um, you know, I was down at the gym and I went to the scenarium. And I just said, God, I feel a bit discouraged. I really would... I, just, I need you to encourage me. Because all that kind of knowledge of him just kicks in. And you go, God, I just need you to encourage me. And lo and behold, a few minutes later, I'm getting changed. And this tall man of African descent, big guy looks at me and smiles. What did he say to me? Um, have a really good day. <laughs> and then he said, go out and make someone smile. And I, and I just thought, I want to kick you where it hurts. <laughs> that's what I felt like. I thought, I don't need you to tell me to do something that's good. And I thought, hang on a second. God, I just asked you. And I thought, you know what? He might have been an angel. I've never seen him before, never seen him since. He's probably just a member of David Lloyd. <laughs> but, but, you know, the thing was, it, it, it was real and it was really important. And, and you just got to get hold of yourself and, and do the right thing. Get a grip and then pick yourself up, dust yourself off. Get yourself focused in the right direction. Don't give yourself excuses to go left or right. You folk doing what Alan Shearer says. Pick your spot, do what you've done in training and knock that ball into the back of the net. That's how... They should take penalties. And that's how we should live our kingdom life. We're in training in church. We're in training in life group. We're in training in GDP. We're in training in discipleship discovery. We're in training when we're praying together in weeks of prayer and fasting. And then when the opportunity to score a cracker comes along, you go, that's where the ball's going. And bang, and you get through onto the next victory. But if you don't do the training, or you get distracted by the goalkeeper, or you get distracted by somebody else shouting in the crowd, heckling and, you're going to, your life's going to be full of heckling because you're in a kingdom battle. You're in a kingdom where there's a real world fight going on for people's souls. But you place your ball, take a step back and knock it straight into the corner of the net. Then you win. And that's what it's like in the kingdom. You just keep your faces like flint and focus forward and encourage the next person. Our actions encourage. How can we encourage? We encourage each other. Paul, uh, in, in, sorry, in the New Testament... Barnes was known as the son of encouragement. We don't even remember that his name was really Joseph. His, that was his real name, but everyone calls him Barnabas. Why? Because his legendary encouragement goes before him. If you encourage, encourage, encourage yourself and others authentically, 
you will change people's lives. The Holy Spirit's work is to comfort and encourage. Did you know that? And so all that Barnabas learned to do was do what God does. <laughs> and he drew those two things together. And, you know, Paul knew it. And Paul and Barnabas ended up becoming colleagues that worked in the kingdom. And in Acts 13, we read that there was a time of prayer and fasting. And we'll be in one similar to this on the 10th, 11th, going forward to that week in July. Dedicate Barnabas and Saul to me for the special work which I've called them. Because Barnabas' heart was big. He was in a great place. He wasn't called an apostle before then. He became an apostle. He became someone who carried God's mandate to the nations. And he was God's man. And he was a son of encouragement. Each one of us can do that. Worship team, would you just join me? We're going to have communion in just a moment. We'll have a song first and then we'll have communion. But... um, God's doing heart work in us. Everyone in this room, God's doing something. What is the one thing he's doing? What is it he's doing? What is it he's changing? What is it? Don't close it down. What is it he wants you to, to recognise, to fight through, to be strong in, to get your mind set on, to focus on? What is it that he's doing? He's doing, and he's doing it for a reason. He sees you as a big, solid, achieving, capable person with destiny a kingdom role he he wants to give you power he wants to give you stuff in your life he wants to give you access to things he wants your heart to be ready for that though he wants it to be ready and then look what happened to Saul and Barnabas the first mission trips planting churches unbelievable journey and this morning you know we've got to recognize that encouragement is key to that God's heavenly encouragement He will build us up. So our priceless kingdom community identity is holiness, heart, and heavenly encouragement. Why don't we stand? Let's just worship God for a few minutes in a song. Can we do the same as we did in the first service? And and let God just minister to us for a minute. Open your heart wide. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you just kept your heart protected too much. Let it be a bit vulnerable. Let him speak to you. And maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but actually you've, you've kind of closed it down a little bit. Let's just let God soften us up a little bit as we worship.